Welcome to the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network with me, Rob Brown. Five shows going out every working day, and we serve the accounting profession all over the world with insights on what makes the good accountants great. And we are doing a short series to bookend 2022-2023. We're emerging from the pandemic. We're reaching out to a few authoritative. Reaching out to a few authoritative. My editors will get that bit. Reaching out to a few authoritative leaders in the accounting and fintech world to make sense of what's happened and really make some predictions on what what might be coming up. I'm thrilled to have with me today an old friend and one of the true influencers, Francesca Lagerberg of Begatilly Global. Good day to you, Francesca. Hello, Rob. Lovely to see you again. Francesca, you are talking to people all the time in the accounting world, those at the bottom and the top, those along the middle. You're seeing a lot. It's wonderful to have you on here just to make some sense of what's going on. So let's kick off by just asking you, how would you sum up the year for accounting as we come to the end of 2022? Well, I think the perfect world word for it is volatile. Um, we've never seen a year like this. Uh, you've seen it in the political arena. The UK has outdone itself on volatility, but many other countries have too. And accountancy has been no different. You've had some really big changes. Private equity is looking very seriously at the professional services market. It's making some moves. Buy and build in some parts of the world, bigger transactions than others. And you're also seeing a lot of change. You always have change in tax, but in the audit sphere, the regulators are continuing to look at how they can up the ante, make some difference there. And there are lots of new entrances coming into our market. You've got new joiners, uh, you've got new firms coming together, and you've got quite a lot of consolidation. So as we lurch into 2023, I think that volatility will just keep on going. Yeah, we did a previous interview and the word tumultuous came up to describe, and you're absolutely right. The thing with that is, is that accountants as a breed are not known for their adaptability, their their uh, capacity to pivot on a dime, but perhaps in some ways they've su- surprised us. What, what kind of shape would you feel a profession is in generally as we emerge, not just from 2022, but the pandemic? Well, I think often accountants get a little bit beaten up. Uh, there's a huge amount of interest in uh, things being done well. The quality piece of what we do is closely scrutinised. But I have a lot more faith in the accounting profession than many, because if you actually look at the work that gets done with clients, clients are always changing. They're doing different things. Uh, and really interesting clients are doing things all the time. So accountants have to keep pace with that. So despite the tumultuous year that you mentioned, you are seeing a lot of accounting firms delivering pretty impressive year-end results. And that is because clients need help, want help. And who do you go to when times are tough? You usually go to your accountant to help you. So they have been doing an awful lot of navigation during this last year. One criticism that has been leveled at accountants is they're they're saying that they're closer to the clients than ever before. And there's no doubt about that, but how proactive have they been in that? Because many clients, business owners have said, we've had to reach out to our accountants to get their help as trusted advisors, as you say, Francesca, to navigate the murky waters and complexity and regulation, everything else that we find ourselves in. But they've not necessarily been proactive in coming to us and say, look, here's how we can help you. Here are the things that you need to be thinking about. Now, firms that have done that well have obviously grown but a lot of firms are rather complacent in the compliance work is coming in and clients are reaching out to them and they haven't had to do too much to report good growth levels would you comment on that well there's a lot of work that is walking through the door because of volume and and the need for compliance work whatever whatever political economic social situation you're in compliance work has to get done but i, I would give accountants a little bit more credit 
around that. Some of the, the slowness is often because clients are not always wanting to have their accountant knocking on their door, offering them things. They're going, hang on a minute, what are you going to charge me? Uh, I will come to you when I need something. So sometimes it's a it's a two way street. But in other situations, there is an incredible war for talent going on. So the sheer um, need for resources and great people means that accountants can't always do everything they might want to do. When you've got lots of people and you've got capacity as well as that capability, you can do far more of that proactive work. When you're making sure you're keeping everything moving with perhaps slightly fewer people than you want, that does make it a little bit more of a challenge. So I suspect there's a lot in play. But for a client's perspective, if they want the, the accountant to get more involved, the, the best thing they can do is just make that known. Tell them that's what they want. Often business owners don't know the right questions to ask, but certainly accountants have stood in the gap there between the, the raft of regulatory tax changes, governmental changes here in the UK and everywhere else, and tried to make sense of that for the business owners. I'm just thinking that... Uh, some accountants, they don't change very well unless they're mandated by law to do so. By the same token, with the technology and a lot of innovation, the private equity, VC money coming in, as you say, they have been pushed outside of the comfort zone and realized that innovation, creativity, uh, doing things in different ways, managing those capacity issues, they can do it a lot better than they thought in the past. And that's led to big changes in firms. I, I think everybody's learned from the pandemic. If you look back at how we were all operating in 2018, it was a different world. And we have had to move forward with the kind of speed and rapidity no one would have expected. So who knew that working five days a week in the office would be almost dead and buried at this stage, you saw that coming. I mean, many of us wanted it to be like that, but that doesn't mean it was happening. And so people have had to make some changes and some have been forced upon them by the, just the sheer pace of change. But I think also there's a, an awakening to the fact that if you want to attract people into your business, you want to make the work uh, encouraging for people to want to do. If you want to keep people, you have to do things differently. It, it puts a lot more pressure on the role of management and on leadership. And also I'm providing an opportunity for people to really see that the accounting world has a lot to offer. Uh, it's not it's not the boring wasteland that sometimes gets portrayed on the television. There is a huge amount of opportunity there, but we do need to work harder to encourage people to see that. Are there any, you do such a lot of panels and speaking engagements, commenting on the profession. The Webster's Dictionary word of the year was gaslighting. And I asked my accounting influencers community just recently, what's one of your words or phrases of the year? And I'm going to ask you in a minute if there's phrases that have come up in your conversations that we perhaps wouldn't have used. And the word that came up for my community was JOMO, which is not FOMO, but this is the joy of missing out. So I'm not missing out on the office environment, JOMO. I'm not missing out on the commute. I'm feeling good not doing it. I'm not missing out going to loads of events and networking and everything else. So this JOMO has been has featured quite highly in the vocabulary. Uh, is there anything that come out in your conversations that that's become parlance? Well, I'm going to use JOMO the next opportunity. You like that I one? Love, I love that one. <laughs> Well, I think hybrid working has been the story of the year because that's what everybody talks about. And no one quite knows what it means yet because we're all finding the way. And I don't really like this concept that get, getting a bit more traction and work where you need to work. Do you need to be in the office? Do you need to be at home? And the reality could vary from week to week. And are you flexible enough to go, actually, today I'd be much better staying at home and getting that report done. But I've got this really big team thing I need to get done. And that means I'll spend five days next week in the office. 
uh, and having that that different flexibility and so hybrid, uh, which I think no one ever thought of in the work context, has now become something that we all talk about. Yeah, I'm hybrid working. Now, the working from home, which used to be a little bit of a joke that people put around about, oh, yeah, working from home. I think we've just grown. I think we've all grown up a bit and, and gone, well, no, actually, if I need to get my head down and get something done, being at home might be the absolute best place to get that done. Uh, and I think we are still struggling with uh, what we used to have and what we have now. And the reality is what we used to have, it's gone. It's just gone. It is the past. It's our history. And because it's our history, it's important we know about it and understand it. But it is the past. It's not coming back. It is hard to define best practice these days. What used to work doesn't work. And, and what works for one firm now might not work for another firm. I'm just thinking of another phrase that's come in, or at least gathered momentum. We were honoured to have you on one of our Women in Accounting leadership panels recently talking about diversity. And this phrase, DEI, and you could add two extras onto that, the, the diversity, equity, inclusion, but justice is also added and now accessibility as this uh, movement of diversity of talent and thought gathers momentum, that's certainly a word that is more on people's lips, isn't it? This year? It really is. And and how joyous is that, that we're actually talking about these things and then the norm as opposed to some strange management speak that no one really gets or understands. But it is vital if we're going to make the world a better place and we're going to actually encourage talent to reach its full potential. Why would you want to put up barriers? I do think people under the age of 30 get this a lot better than anybody else. Funny enough, I was chatting to a bunch of people last week of varying degrees of age. And the ones that are in their 20s are going, well, DEI, what, you know, why do we even, why have we not done this before? Why is this something we need to do now? And you could see us all looking around the table going, yeah, yeah, I kind of get that. I kind of see the passion and the enthusiasm for doing it. And we have to make it different. We cannot leave our roles as leaders in our organisation, managers in our organisation, and not better make it a better place. Why would you ever want to leave behind a legacy that's worse? So vital that we embrace it and, and really bring it to life don't just talk about it don't just use the initials actually do something with it well that's definitely happening I, i'm going to ask you to put your professor head on at the moment i'm a former high school maths teacher as you may recall and uh, i'm going to ask you to give the accounting profession a school report whether that's a grade or a, a comment could do better or really well done or anything in a b or c how would you rate it francesca this year? yes I, i'm going to give it rather than give it a grade because I, I i believe that grades now are numbers um, it's a room for improvement. There's some there's some really good things there. We often don't shout about them. We keep them a our successes a little bit quiet. But of course, we need to do more. If you look at people's average impression of our profession, it is not a good look. It looks as though it's a, a bit tired. It's not really doing things that are exciting or interesting. And that is so untrue of the reality of what it's like to work with clients and work in an environment where you might be doing something completely different from day to day. So I think it is our job to make sure that we encourage people to come into our profession, make it a great experience for those who choose to come with us. But also we should be very challenging about what our teachers are saying and making sure that we're tapping on the door and going, are you sure that's right? But working with them, not being disruptive, with those regulators or government bodies, but really challenging about how our profession can continue to grow. And you had at Pecatilli International, what kind of shape is the world of accounting networks, associations, alliances in right now? What have we learned this year? I think they're very strong. I think global accounting networks like Pecatilli have got a huge amount to offer because they're covering cross-border issues 
we talked many, many years ago as the pandemic was beginning about whether globalization was dying. Was geography old hat? Was it something that didn't matter anymore? But it does. It really does matter to have that ability to work locally, but have a global ability to bring great information, to share knowledge, to bring best practices. And the way that the accounting world is, is beginning to consolidate a little bit. You're seeing some new members coming into the global accounting field and you've got some joining up to form bigger organizations. It feels very much like it did 10, 12, 15 years ago where there was a real shift as, as people took a view that they wanted to be part of these larger organizations because they knew that it could bring something of value to clients. Have we learned any lessons about what success is and what failure is in the last three years? We're emerging from a global pandemic. It seems like we've seen off the last of it, let's hope. There's been a lot of changes come into the profession, some forced, some adopted. What do you think of, have we learned about success and failure? Well, I think we've kept success quite quiet. I think we play down our successes and concentrate on our challenges. So have we really learned the lessons of celebrating success? I'm not sure we're that good at that. I think we're really good at beating ourselves up when things go wrong. <laughs> I, think, I think when there's big scale issues, we're very, very eager to go, oh, it's a disaster. These things have gone really badly. But there's sort of something in the middle of there about taking a balance and going, you learn the lessons of when things go incorrectly. But there are some really powerful things that are happening. I mean, how many businesses have actually seen their accountants stand by them through very difficult times, have seen them as a true trusted advisor who's willing to stick through it, uh, who've actually helped them with some very complicated and difficult times. And as they're hopefully coming through some of those, you know, they're still there. They're, they've not tried to make quick profits. They've been very helpful about managing cash flow for those clients. They've been very much part of the package of things those clients have needed to make them be successful. So I think there's a lot the accounting field should be very proud of. And we don't always talk about that. Let's look ahead to 2023, almost like a, a butterfly coming out of the chrysalis as we emerge to a new dawn <laughs> or a new world or a new era. What do you feel are, are some of the challenges coming up for individual accountants and some of the firms they represent? Well, I, I suppose you, you keep going back to the fact we're still in a recession in the UK and in many other parts of the world. It, there probably is going to be a bit of a global downturn pretty much everywhere. But is accounting recession proof, Francesca? Well, completely no, a little bit yes, because obviously in downtimes, there's certain things that tend to do quite well. Sadly, the insolvency world tends to thrive. Uh, R&R does very well, recovery and reorganisation. But there is also a piece there that obviously clients stop doing some things during downturns. They wait and see, cash is king. They want to hang on to their money just in case things don't get better quickly. So I think there's something there about we, we might see that continue into 2023 you'd like to hope that begins to loosen up but it looks as though the first part of 2023 economic wise is still going to be quite tough and the, the war for people is not going away how do you attract these fantastic individuals into your organization how do you make yourself the go-to place to work that is not going to change either uh, there was a, a, a lovely series of quotes recently about the war for talent who's won the war for talent or well, talent won it uh, this concept that if you are very good at what you do you will find work but we all want those same people and you're forever hearing about accounting firms talking about hiring thousands of people and there aren't thousands and thousands and thousands of people going into our field so that will still stay quite an important part of 2023 but looking on the brighter side, of which there is much, when you've got all these difficult times, all these various things happening, 
that's when accountants can be that that rock when you're going through difficult moments. So they can provide stability, they can provide advice, they can provide a range of advice. So it's not just that they're dealing with the, the here and now, they can do a little bit of forecasting, they can also talk through the trends that are taking place. So there's an awful lot that helps accountants to thrive in downtimes. And I think the piece here is about how you make sure you're looking after your clients well, and you're looking ahead for your clients. So you aren't just dealing with the the basic compliance, the backward-looking compliance, you're looking at the future as well. And to what degree do you feel the traditional partnership model is a challenge for firms as we we see more C-suite models coming out? You've got a big smile on your face there. <laughs> I do. I mean, partnerships, I mean, who would invent them today? I, I mean, I do find them, they're an extraordinary model. I was reading something this weekend, actually, is the partnership model dead. Long live the partnership model. Uh, you probably wouldn't invent it exactly the way it is today. It comes from a, a different time and a different place. Um, in, in a smaller firm, there probably is that much more of an ethos of a people truly owning the business, truly driving all the decisions from what do we buy, who do we have as our clients. The bigger you get, the, the, the less of a true ownership you have. You might have that ownership uh, in legal terms. But do you really own all the decision making? Well, you give that decision making to a to a management board to to make those big plays because you can't all be involved in every single step. There's something lovely about a partnership as a concept, this belief that you are all in it together, you're true stakeholders. Um, if the business does well, whatever it does well, you will benefit. There's something about that which you also see in employee ownership models. Uh, but is it is it the most wonderful structure as you get bigger and bigger and bigger probably you wouldn't invent it right here right now what would you replace it with you'd probably go with some kind of corporate structure but some level of employee ownership as well so I, I think the the realities and policy models aren't going away any day soon but you can just see the challenges around the bigger you get how much are you really a meaningful stakeholder in that organisation? What accounting commentator said to me recently on an interview, the, the partnership model is dead and the managing partner role is so antiquated now because managing partners have never been able to manage their partners. Who manages <laughs> partners these days? They're their own breed, their own race, they have their own rules and the partner can't be set and it's very difficult to change anything. So maybe the CEO is the way to go. What do you say to that? Well, I think it's a different kind of leadership, isn't it? In the sort of the very old fashioned model, which I think most people have moved away from. Your managing partner was sort of a, a sort of a godlike figure who dictated from on high. And I think that's all long since gone. Um, but you've also got, of course, a lot of people who've got bringing very different skill sets to a partnership. You've got your rainmakers. You've got your get stuff done people. You've got everything in between. Technical experts. How do you make sure you bring that all together? And Perhaps you need to be some kind of superhuman to be the, the sole person who can dictate from higher that works. So the CEO model does have a lot of sanity, but it's all about leadership, isn't it? I mean, great organisations, whatever their legal structure, are all about how do people lead. So if you're leading in the environment we work in, you've got highly intelligent people. You've got people who aren't going to sort of take a whole load of what they would perceive as complete rubbish because they will see through it, they'll understand it. They're probably smarter than some of the people that are managing. So you've got to have a way of managing that, that wonderfully complex, articulate, intelligent bunch of people. And the most effective ways are, are having that adaptable style. And you know, sometimes you have to make decisions. You have to make the big calls. Sometimes it's about getting consensus around an issue. Sometimes it's actually about going, look, it's, it's here. You've got choices. 
if you do this or this, it doesn't really matter. Both are good choices. You take the ownership of it. You make that thing happen. And I think that's the reality of the of the way that the leadership spectrum has gone is that you're you're not just the person who's at the the front of the horse pulling it along you're also not the person at the back kicking the horse you're walking alongside it you're in a different environment one of the features of you as a personality francesca is your effervescent optimistic positive approach you're very bullish about the profession and obviously there are many reasons for that beyond personality talk to us about some of the opportunities and the good things coming up for accountants next year well i think one of the reasons that i'm very um optimistic about the future is I, I remember being an accountant back in the 80s because sadly I am that old and I remember what gloom and despondency it was all coming to an end and then actually back to the 90s it was all ending then too and probably in bits of 2000 particularly late 2000s the financial crisis we were all doomed totally doomed and we're still here and the reason we're still here is we have a decent service to offer so the, the reality is as accountants bring this big range of different things they can do it's different skill sets but fundamentally, they're, they're trying to bring some objectivity and some thoughtfulness to, to the transactions that clients are wanting to do or are heavily involved in. So I think there's a lot that's going to happen that brings to, to mind agility, resilience, which is huge, I think, in our profession. You know, you're, you're not here for the short term. You're here for the long the long haul. It's a marathon, not a sprint, as they lovingly say. Um, and it is about the on the opportunity side, there's going to be a lot happening around new rules, new regulations. The regulators aren't going to slow down. There's always things to do around that. But there's also a piece around how do you actually position an organisation for success into the future? So let me just throw in some of the obvious things that are going on at the moment. There has never been more thoughtfulness around ESG a real desire, not just to follow it because it's going to become le uh, legally essential, not because of mandating, because people care. There is no planet B. They are trying to do the right thing. And accountants got a huge role to play in that. How can you make sure you're doing the right things and you can verify and show you're doing the right things? That feels like a massive opportunity to marry some very good things together. You've also got um, a huge range of opportunities to actually work in strategic partnerships with other organisations because accountants can't do everything, but you can partner up with some very, very good alternative organisations that offer different ranges of things. And that gives your clients an ability to talk to you and you can put them in touch with great people who can help them. And that is about playing your part in encouraging people to get great advice from a range of different organisations. They don't always have to. What do you feel will separate the good accounting firms from the great ones over the next year or two? Oh, it's, that's a tricky one, Rob. I mean, quality is kind of table stakes. Yeah. You know, the expectation, technically, you've got to be good. You've got to have good quality. You've got to manage your risk. That feels It's a given, isn't it? Yeah. It has to be. It has to be. I don't think that's a, an optional, be you good or great. You're going to have to have that. Yeah, I sometimes say in my talks, uh, good gets you in the game, but great gets you on the podium. Ah, well, it is sort of that gave that medal winning position, isn't it? Yeah. I, to, to be great, how how you define great is is pretty important because great doesn't mean doesn't mean big. Great doesn't mean you're the you're the biggest or you're the the biggest revenue or the largest number of people. That that doesn't define great for me. Great means that your clients are giving you the feedback that you were giving them the service that is way beyond the expectations that they wanted. Because fundamentally, you can be really, really good at what you do because, because your clients are getting the service that they want. It's the right level. It's understanding. It's empathizing. It's giving them what they're looking for. And they're thrilled by what you're doing. They're going, we thought we we're going to get this. We've actually got this. That's fantastic. That's a really, really powerful piece 
to know that you're going beyond the expectations of the clients you're working with. And if you flip that around into the piece that drives everything, it's for your people, that you're giving them more than they expect. And that's, again, not just about money. You want people to be well-paid, get the benefits they deserve to have, but they're having an experience that's a completely different experience to what they might have expected. So sure, they're going to end up hopefully with qualifications. They're going to end up with, with work that is meaningful. Is work they actually enjoy doing some of the time. Can't promise that all of the time. And it's going to be an experience where they go, I'm really glad I went into this profession. Um, this is this is something that I'm still excited about, I'm inspired about. And that becomes a great organization. If you're giving your your clients that you're truly delivering and what you say to your clients, and you're giving them a bit more than they, they expected. And for your people, you're giving them experience where they go, yeah, I really want to stay here or I really am glad I entered into this. Then you've done something pretty special. Uh, and that's that is, I think, the sign of a good a, a good organization that's taken itself to great. Yes, I would go along with that. And hopefully the days of an employer brand that says we will help you make partner by chaining you to a desk for 10 to 15 years with some really drudge type work and the real cry. Those days have gone, haven't they? Oh, I hope so. I so hope so. And and a lot of people don't want to be partner because they they look at some partners, guys, isn't the life for me. You don't have to define your career by a title. Uh, you should be able to be getting an experience where you go, actually, this this is what I love to do. This is something I'm actually giving something of value by doing it, but I'm getting a whole lot back. And I think that is great organisations of people who are so almost evangelical about them because they are having a great experience and they want others to have that great experience too. Now, we do have a top-heavy profession. Research suggests that a lot of accountants, partners, now they're of an age where they're retiring, moving on. I heard somewhere that there are more accountants dying and retiring, moving out than there are coming into the profession. Now, whether it can sustain that with technology and automation and everything else remains to be seen. But I'm just wondering what might happen to the firms that are perhaps a bit complacent and arrogant. We don't need to change. We don't have to change. We don't know what to change. We don't want to change. All of those excuses, what might happen to those? Well, there's obviously the um, the death by a thousand cuts moment where you, you suddenly find that your model has become outdated and you haven't spotted it. You haven't seen it coming. But if I flip around your question a bit and go to what would you actually want to do with people who are of a certain age and are now perhaps heading towards a, a different part of their career. Well, getting smart about people in that bracket it is a huge plus for accounting because you've got a lot of experience. You've got people who perhaps don't want to work five days a week anymore, maybe don't even want to work the same number of days every week. Uh, and they might live for another 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And do they want to leave behind all their career ambitions because they've hit a, a, an age that's just been dreamt up on the back of some articles and memorandum in some partnership agreement. So I think there's something smart that you can do with people who've got vast experience and just want to keep their hand in doing something that's meaningful and important to them without them being there all the time. And that means opens up opportunities for younger people as well to step into those environments. So I think you have to deal with it at both ends. How do you deal with your more senior people who actually are different, uh, have different ambitions and different things they want to do without losing all of that skill. And then how do you make sure there's space for those who are you know, super ambitious and want to have those opportunities and don't want to think that they're just floating around waiting for someone to leave or, oh, Lord help us die. That last thing you wanted to create that kind of environment. So you need to be smart, but smart at both ends of that spectrum. That's such a great suggestion. And I've not heard that too many times. I've long since wanted to do a piece of research on what happens to managing partners and senior partners when they leave. First off, how do you 
how might they measure the success of their tenure? But secondly, what happens the day after they cease to be a managing partner or a senior partner, whether they go out to the golf course or sit on a beach all day or become consultants in the private sector or maybe fall back to a portfolio position in a part-time role. There's lots of different options there, but I love that idea of harnessing a life within the firm because there's so much in their heads the workings of the firm, the imbuing of the culture inside them and what they could offer the rest of the firm by staying tethered to the organization without them having to retire with it. The money's nothing, is it, in, in that respect? They've still got a mind that needs engaging. And I think you're absolutely right. At that stage, it's absolutely not about the money. I mean, it's nice to have some money, but it's not. that's not the driving force. I've seen some fantastic senior partners become great mentors to other people coming through. I've seen them run amazing programs, which are really about sharing experience about the things you might do to set yourself up for success. Um, obviously, there's a whole non-exec route that many choose to follow, but there's so much within an organisation that if you can create a space where you can utilise that skill, they know you better probably than anybody else in the world. So if there's a way that you can keep them, as you say, tethered to the organisation in a productive way for them, productive way for you, it's hugely advantageous. And and most of us are luckily going to live a lot longer than some of our not so far off relatives did. So you've got a long time for sitting on that beach um, or going on the golf course. There are many, many days that you can do that, but quite nice to have some other things you can do too. Talk to us about what's coming up for accounting networks, associations, alliances over the next couple of years. Big stuff, the rise of PE, uh, private equity, its involvement, what it get, wants to be part of. That's going to be huge. Continuing consolidation. I think that's going to be massive. Excuse me. And, and I think the other piece that's going to be very intriguing for global organisations is that most cover the world now. So it's not about coverage. It's about quality. Not enough mid-tier firms to go around to feed the growth of many of these organisations. So that does speak to some kind of consolidation or different business models, right? You'd, you'd expect to see that. Um, and also some of the organisations that perhaps have lost a little bit of their acceleration. We'll be looking at others to see if they can accelerate with them. What makes you excited about the next year or two in the accounting world, Francesca? Oh, I get excited about so many different things to do with the accounting world. I think we are in a position where our clients are perhaps in the most volatile scenarios they've ever been in. So we are really well placed to be supportive, helpful, guide them, but also learn with them. If I go back to ESG, that is a really untraveled path for most organisations at this stage. What can we do to truly live up to some of the, the desires and ambition that the ESG programmes can give us? The other on the ESG is, as well, just to jump in, Francesca, I'd love to see accountants taking the lead on that and not waiting for the clients to ask them, but to, to get to grips with some of the key things. There are many different slices of environmental and social governance, but to go to clients and say, hey, have you thought about this? Or do you know that this is coming up? Or do you think there might be some opportunities in this area? That would really help clients. I think there's so much that can be done around that. I was chatting to somebody else, one of our experts in our organisation, and he has done so much in his own office so that he can show with credibility. I've done all of these things. So come and have a look. I'll show you around. I'll explain what we've done. He runs workshops so people can see how they might be able to make a difference. I mean, they're very practical steps to help you do the right things. So I think that's going to be a huge area where accountants can both educate and can help. I'm just going to CEO of Bikitili International. That's been a wonderful tour de force through 2022 and the pandemic and a, a really insightful look ahead to what's coming up for the profession. Thank you so much for your passion and your insights today. Thank you so much, Rob. You have a great Christmas.